sometimes it's hard for us to kind of sit back and just observe without having preconceived notions of what's going through our cat's head, right? And cats don't have as many facial expressions as dogs do. And so I think a lot of people see them as like a blank slate. And so then you start projecting, right? So you think like, oh, he's mad at me. So now he looks mad. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts, learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins, and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. the Cat Explorer podcast. I'm Asara. And I'm Daniel. Starting from this season, we'll be inviting more cat behaviorists to be on the podcast to answer your questions about cat behavior. And we're so excited to jump into today's episode. But first, we'd like to thank the amazing members of the Cat Explorer Purse Squad and the Cat Explorer Producers. Their support makes sure that Cat Explorer can continue to create the free resources to help you give your cat the world. We'd like to say a huge thank you to our co-producers for Season 6 of the Cat Explorer podcast. That's Roxy the Kitty, Z and Charlie, Luna Misty Blue, and Xavier and Jasper. To join these amazing Cat Explorers as Cat Explorer producers, or to become a member of the Purse Squad, go to catexplorer.co forward slash support. We're always super excited to speak to certified cat behaviorists because they have so much knowledge. Today's guest is no exception. Dr. Michael Maria Delgado is a certified applied animal behaviorist. She is also a postdoctoral fellow at the School of Veterinary Medicine at the University of California. Dr. Michael's research focuses on behavior of cats in multi-cat households and the development of neonatal kittens. She has worked with cats for over 20 years and co-authored Jackson Galaxy's book, Total Cat Mojo. We can go on and on about Dr. Michael's achievements and knowledge but we'll just let us share those with you. Welcome to the Cat Explorer podcast, Dr. Michael. Thank you so much. So you've done some awesome research in the field of cat behavior, but let's go back to the beginning. What made you decide to be a cat behaviorist? Yeah, that's our, um, I mean, it's not like a traditional profession that you grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to be a cat behaviorist when I grow up. Certainly not when I was a kid. Um, And I always loved cats, but I never had any sort of, dreams of even being a veterinarian. To be honest, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up and I dropped out of college because I wanted to move to California and play in a rock band. So that was <laughs> kind of what I thought I was going to do for many years. And um, I always had cats and loved cats, but it wasn't until one of my cats died that I ended up going to an animal shelter to volunteer. I really missed him. And a friend suggested, oh, you should come volunteer at the shelter with me. And as soon as I got there, um, I was immediately just transformed um, by the experience of being around all of these cats who had lost their homes. They're trying to find a new home. The shelter can be a really stressful place. And one thing this shelter had was a program for working with the kind of difficult cats. So there were separate wings for cats who had behavior issues in the shelter. So they might be very shy or maybe they were biting people. Um, didn't like a lot of attention. I don't. I was immediately drawn to those cats. Like, how do I get to work with them? And so there was a program specifically for kind of rehabbing these cats and helping them be more adoptable. And that was it. It was like, as soon as I started working with those cats, I was immediately like, wow, like this is an amazing experience watching the effects of um, interacting with them, helping them become more adoptable, helping them adjust to the stressful environment And I remember the day I came home from volunteering at the shelter and I told my boyfriend, I think I want to become a cat behaviorist. And so this was in like 2001. So this was a long time ago. And he was like, you should go for it. And so basically I volunteered at the shelter so much that when they had an opening, they offered me a job. And that was in the cat behavior program. And so when I was there, I was, you know, still working with those cats who were having adjustment troubles. Um, I was training volunteers on how to work with them, doing counseling with adopters on how to help them transition into a home environment if they were having behavior issues in the shelter. And we also had a behavior helpline where people could call for free help. And so we were getting over 100 calls a month for help. So people who had behavior questions about their cat. And it just was so obvious how difficult it was for people to understand their pets and how the problems they were having with them could really impact their bond. And that was really what drove a lot of these cats to end up in the shelter in the first place. So I was really 
compelled to try to help people understand their cats so that cats could be happier in their homes and have all the things they needed to have a, a good life and be happy and, and, you know, be loved by their owners. So that was really it. And so at that point, I was just reading everything I could find, veterinary textbooks, you know, dog behavior books, going to training workshops, which were very focused around dogs at the time. It was really hard to find information about cats. And the people who worked in the shelter really mentored me. And after eight years of being in the shelter environment, one of my coworkers and I decided to start our own consulting business where we could take that information that we had gathered and go into people's homes, help them with their cats, help them understand their cats, help their cats be happier and healthier. And so that's really how it got started. It was my cat died and I walked into an animal shelter. Life was never the same. <laughs> I just love that story. Like I, because you would have learned so much just watching those cats, especially those ones that are classed as having behavioral problems as well. Like that's, that would have been an amazing journey. You know, many of us who've had cats, you know, think we know a lot about cats because we've lived with them our whole lives. But your first week in a shelter, you will interact with dozens and dozens of cats and they all are so different that you really are humbled by how little you actually know. I love how you found your calling just by, you know, linking the love of cats and shelter and this behaviors and it just really set you on your path. Was this cat behavior sort of idea, you know, well known and established at the time you started out or was it sort of niche? Because even I find it still relatively niche. Like you find a lot of information on dogs, but not so much on cats. So is that changed much in those 20 years since? I think it has changed. Certainly when I started my job. When I told people what I did, it was like, what? And even when we started our business, it was slow going at first. You know, people who were willing to actually pay someone to come over and help them with their cat, it seemed weird. Like it was this weird cat therapy thing. And I think people felt uncomfortable about it. Whereas dog training was just the norm. Dog training has been, you know, well-established. Dogs who get adopted from a shelter would go home with six weeks of classes. But to actually, you know, People didn't even think cats could be trained. And so there's been a lot of shifts since then. Certainly cats have become incredibly popular. Um, the internet has had a huge effect on people's relationships with cats. And so that's been great. Um, Jackson's TV show, I really think, propelled the industry because people finally understood that there was a place they could go to to get help when they had a question about their cat. And there were people that were qualified to give them advice about their cat. So I, I definitely felt an effect of his um, his presence, you know, everywhere. And certainly the TV show helped. So I think people then were like, oh, I can look up cat behaviorist and here's this business. So then let's take it back to the beginning and the basics for everyone's cat. How do we read our cat's body language and do you have any tips for that yeah I mean certainly sometimes it's hard for us to kind of sit back and just observe without having preconceived notions of what's going through our cat's head right and cats don't have as many facial expressions as dogs do and so I think a lot of people see them as like a blank slate and so then you start projecting right so you think like oh he's mad at me so now he looks mad um your cat's just sitting there maybe you know empty thought bubble, or maybe he's, you know, thinking about the birds outside the window, but we start like filling in those gaps because we don't see the same facial expressions that people see with a dog, right? Dogs have been shaped through domestication and their co-evolution with humans to have facial expressions that remind us of us, the smile, the eyebrows, like those are all things we respond to. And cats just don't have as many facial muscles. So you're not always going to get a very overt expression. Their expressions are just a lot more subtle. So I think the first thing is just watching them, like put your phone down, look at them. What's the context? Like, are they laying in the sun? They're probably happy and relaxed. You know, is is the house super loud and chaotic? They might be a little stressed out right now. So, you know, you have to not just focus on, oh, their pupils or their whiskers, but their whole body and also the environment. So I would say practice makes perfect. And you know, I, I think where people do go wrong is that, again, they kind of put their own wants and needs first. So a lot of cats overstimulate if they've been petted for too long. And they will give you signals like swishing their tail or maybe their ears are moving. Maybe you'll get a little cranky like meow. Um, but some cats, it's much more subtle. And people will be like, oh, he just bit me out of the blue. And it's like, well, it wasn't out of the blue because one, you were petting him. 
So we know what the trigger is. Um, and two, you missed the tightening of his whiskers or just the little twitch of his back fur. Um, or maybe the ear movement was very subtle instead of very overt. So you went into the interaction wanting to pet your cat without that necessarily being what your cat wanted. Maybe your cat only wanted two pets, but you want to pet them more. And trust me, I mean, I love petting cats. They're soft. They're cute. I want to squeeze them all. But, um, you know, it is important to recognize that just because you want an interaction to go a certain way doesn't mean your cat feels the same way. So it's just really important to, you know, let them have control. And I think one thing I always come back to is like giving your cat choices. Don't corner them. Let them decide if they want to come back for more and really allowing them to have that sense of choice and control the interaction. They, I mean, research has shown that when you let cats dictate the interaction, as in letting them approach you first instead of approaching them first, the interaction is more positive and lasts longer. So I'd say, you know, again, hang back and observe a little and you'll learn a lot. Wow, that's so tr very true. Like, so I grew up with a cat and then when we adopted Lumos and Noxie, I was a bit surprised at how different they were. Like, I was like, oh, I know I knew my cat so well. I was like, these guys, I, I've got it. I know how, how they interact. And it took me I'd say about a year just to get Noxie. Like she was, she's very um, playful. She's very cheeky, but she's also very loving. But I didn't quite get the loving language that she used. To, she shows. I just didn't understand that for about a year. And now, she, now I get it. Now I'm like, she needs to come to me if she wants that kind of cuddle. I can't force that on her. So that's such a great point of what you said. Like, wow. <laughs> and I think that also kind of interlinks with how we should be approaching cat exploring as well we should be watching our cats um how they're reacting to that and before we jumped on Mike you actually had a really interesting story about how your thought perception of taking your cat outside safely has changed over time do you mind taking us through through that yeah certainly um well you know the culture in the United States is different from other countries so like people in the UK are very like cats should go outside um, if you don't give them time outside, you're depriving them. And certainly here in the United States, it's more like cats should be indoors for their safety. Um, certainly nowadays, there's a lot of questions about the ecological effects of letting cats roam and, and allowing them to um, hunt birds. And, um, you know, there's also questions about management of feral colonies. So there's a lot of, you know, just controversy and questions about how cats should be allowed outside, if at all. And certainly when I worked at the animal shelter, we had a very strict policy, like we wanted our cats to go into indoor only homes. And so I definitely, um, you know, I see the benefits of keeping cats indoors as far as um, preventing them from getting disease, preventing them from getting in fights, preventing them from being a nuisance to your neighbors. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of, of things that can come up. Um, certainly I didn't want any of my cats or any of the cats I've been working at with at the shelter to suffer, you know, being hit by a car or, you know, any other like terrible fate. So at the time it was very much like either or, like you either let your cat roam freely um, without supervising them or you kept them indoors exclusively. And so we really focused a lot of our education, certainly early in my cat behavior career, um, very focused on enrichment, right? So it was about providing experiences indoor that would let your cat um, kind of live some of the things that they would be able to do outside. And I'm still very much an advocate of providing your cat with a suitable indoor environment. No matter what you decide to do as far as, even if you let your cat have free access to the outdoors, the home territory is the most important space to them and it should meet all of their needs. And the other thing about enrichment that's really I think changed in my own thinking about it is we kind of always treated the concept of enrichment as a bonus, right? Like your cat needs food and water and a litter box. And then there's this other stuff you can do to make their life better. And we really ignored the fact that these things that made their life better are actually necessities, just like food and water. They need vertical space inside. They need things that they're allowed to scratch, that they like to scratch. They need activities. And so um, certainly, you know, I think all of these things are just now what we expect cats to have as a minimum requirement. And now kind of the next frontier is like, um, for me, has been really, okay, is the indoors enough for all cats? 
And I, um, I guess one thing that happened is I moved to a new city and suddenly had, um, instead of living in an apartment with, you know, a shared yard that had dogs and neighbors is now I have a private yard. And so that was, um, the impetus to think like, Hmm, like maybe we could try, you know, some supervised time with our cat outside. And certainly one thing that's changed since I started in this field 20 years ago is that now there's a lot more options for bringing cats outside, certainly harnesses and the design of harnesses that are actually functional. Because when I started, the harnesses that were available for cats were like, you know, the figure eight harness. And I could not get it on a cat. Like I was just like, I think I'm doing this wrong. I think the cat's going to escape. Um, in the shelter, we would occasionally put a harness on a cat and take them on a walk through the shelter to get them out of their little room that they had. And yeah, I was always like, uh, I would not trust this outside. I just feel like this cat is is not secure. And so I feel like in the last few years, there's really been some great um, changes as far as like providing cats with safe harnesses that are secure and comfortable and allow them to move freely and not freak out. I know some cats get a little um, like they're a little weirded out by a harness at first, but so, so a lot of things have happened, you know, I think, um, so I had this moment with my cat, she was probably 14 at the time. And, and so we got her harness, like, let's see what happens. And she, so she'd been indoors only for the whole time I'd had her, we got her when she was about one years old. So she's been indoors only for 13, 14 years. And then we decided to get her a harness and see what happens. And honestly, I was pretty, um, I don't want to say devastated because that's not quite the right word. But when I saw how much she loved just being in our backyard, I felt this incredible guilt. Like I'd been denying her of this experience because she just loved it. I mean, it was like really like nothing else. And she had, you know, five cat trees inside and you know, as many toys and playtime as she wanted, food puzzles and um, cat grass and anything she could possibly want birds to watch, but, and even open windows to smell the air. But somehow the experience of being outdoors was qualitatively different for her. And so that really like kind of shook me to my core because I was like this, you know, this goes against everything I've been saying about keeping cats indoors, that they don't need to go outside. And I don't think that necessarily all cats need to go outside. And you also have to be aware that once you open that Pandora's box, other problems may, may come up, right? So at first she want like once she started going outside, it was like, oh, now it's like too late. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And even at her age, you know, and she wasn't, she wasn't doing that much outside. I mean, she, she did chase a few bugs and um, squirrels, but like I said, just seeing how much she loved it, just laying in the sun, rolling around in the dirt, laying in the grass really um, made me understand why this can be an amazing way to enrich your cat's life and really um, provide them with something that we necessarily can't provide inside. I love how you put it in that journey that you've gone on to sort of, you know, make these discoveries and sort of change your mind over time because it, it like, it really isn't two camps. I, I think it's more like a sliding scale of things which apply to different types of cats. Like every cat is different and they've got the different personalities and some perfectly happy to be indoors all the time and some love that interaction with the outdoors as well as being indoors for their own health and well-being and safety. So it's great that you reiterate those points and we've found it with our cats that it is a little bit of Pandora's box that you you do open when they do ask for those sort of um, opportunities to go outside, which you know sometimes you can't take them out as much as because of, especially in this current day and age where it's May 2020 with the COVID pandemic at the moment that we've limited the ability to go outside. So that has its own challenges, but Overall, I think it's given them a much more enriching life and they've been able to get out there and smell and play with things and have that sunshine, even though they can get it inside. Like, it's just different. And we liken it to humans. Like, we've just gone through this period and we still are where we've been indoors a lot. And when you step outside, it's a different experience, even if it's just slightly outside to your own courtyard. Absolutely. I think um, one thing about the pandemic 
is all of us suddenly know what it's like to not have control over your movement and your environment. And that's how our pets feel all the time. I completely agree. I think um, I'm actually going to be referring to this pandemic a lot when I'm trying to explain cat exploring to people. I also wanted to touch on something that you mentioned was the guilt that you felt because as I've been learning a lot about cat behavior for Lumos and Noxie, I just keep going back to my old cat and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never did that. We never thought about puzzles. We never thought about um, cat shelves or anything like that. We just had a cat, cat tree and things like that. But I think I think that's going to keep growing because we're learning more and more about cat behavior over time and we're learning different ways that we can enrich our cat's lives. So I think that might be a feeling we have to get used to, unfortunately. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think another important thing as a, um, you know, as a cat expert is, you know, if you ever think you know everything about your subject of expertise, you are done, you know, and, and you have to be open to trying new methods and changing your mind. And we want to always move in a better direction. Certainly, you know, standards for training animals, you know, years ago were very different than now. And and now we're very focused on positive reinforcement and, you know, no force training. And, it requires a shift. And I think if you're not willing to rethink the things that you're particularly adamant about, like I said, I was very adamant about the indoor only thing for so long um, that, you know, you really grow when you have an experience like I had. It was it was an opportunity for me to, to learn. And I think that's really important. I think also to align with all of the stuff that, you know, everyone said so far and that the products have improved dramatically now that have allowed us to take our cats outside in a safe manner because, you know, previously I think you're dead right in that if you've got this eight style harness, figure eight style harness and you're like not very confident with it, you wouldn't want to take your cat outside because the risk to reward is just, there's too much risk involved. But now that there's products on the market that are specially designed for cats, there's, you know, material and content out there that will teach you how to do it. And there's things that you can think about and that, the thought process is now shifting towards taking your cat out safely. You're a lot more game and yeah, it's a lot more accepted to do it. So that also helps very much in allowing us to sort of shift that sliding scale to not be one or the other, but also somewhere a bit more in the middle. Absolutely. Cause you do have the people too, who think that cats need to be free, right? There's, there's definitely a fair amount of people here who um, can't imagine keeping their cats indoors. But so their alternative is again, to just open the door. And, um, you know, those cats do cause problems or meet untimely ends. And so there's, you know, I think it's, it's a good way to address some of the bigger community concerns about cats as well. Mm, Definitely. So um, we've got a few questions that have come up from our community in terms of cat behavior. And as we mentioned before, we're recording this in May, 2020. So we're all self-isolating due to COVID. And one of those Pandora box issues that have come up because we all allow our cats to go cat exploring is that a lot of the members in our community have been finding that their cats are now sitting at the door, at the front door or the back door meowing. And because they're home, they notice it a lot more as well. Do you have any suggestions on how we can manage this meowing? Yeah, I think um, one thing is before you open the Pandora's box, so for people who have not yet started um, taking their cats outside, a few things you can do. One is make sure that you take your cat out on a routine as much as possible. And I know right now, because we're all, um, a lot of us are in shelter in place right now. I'm on day 70 today, I think. So um, yeah, it's been a while. Um, So we have to, um, you know, under normal circumstances, try to make things predictable. And I like to train a cat to sit quietly for um, before they can go outside. So either to put the harness on, you have a, a station, not by the door. So you're reinforcing your cat for sitting a few feet away from the door quietly. You put the harness on and you can do this with, a, you know, clicker training. But the goal is to build up to this idea that you are the one in control of the cat going outside. And in order to go outside, they should sit quietly. And that increases the likelihood that you will let them outside. So some basic training right from the get go can help. Um, I would always carry my cat outside so that she knew, again, I was the one steering the ship. So she wasn't trying to door dash because if they're allowed to go out the door, then they know that those movements lead to freedom. And so I always tried to um, control her her behavior as much as possible to 
just teach her, you know, this is how it works. And once you're outside, yeah, you can roll around and have all the fun you want. But the process of getting there requires a little more parental <laughs> intervention. Um, you know, that said, there were certainly times where she would let us know that she, um, as we used to call it, she had an idea. So she would, you know, come to the office. We both work primarily from home, uh, my boyfriend and I. And so she'd come into the office and sit there and, you know, she had this whole repertoire of meows and we knew, okay, it's nice. You know, we could always tell what the weather was like by how badly she wanted to go outside. But, um, you know, certainly making it part of a routine is helpful. Um, for people right now who are experiencing meowing, you know, if you talk to your cat when they meow or, you know, give them attention when they're meowing, you are rewarding the behavior and you're increasing the likelihood that it will increase and, you know, continue in the future. So, so much of their behavior is influenced by our behavior. And I think of cats as human psychologists, right? They're around all the time watching us. They know how to push our buttons. They know what of our behaviors tend to lead to the things they want, right? Like they know when you're going to the treat cabinet or when it's time to eat or when you're on the phone and ignoring them, they know how to get you to pay attention to them by knocking things off shelves. So um, they really watch our movements and they're very, I think, um, observant of us, much like we should be of them. So we just have to be conscious of not giving in to the meows um, or trying to, you know, maybe pick them up and soothe them when they're meowing, you really should just try to ignore it. And if you notice a pattern, so say you're sheltering in place and you can't take your cat outside right now, um, but you know, 10 a.m. is like the witching hour where they start getting kind of crazy, vocal, manic, play with them 15 minutes before that and then give them a food puzzle at 10 when they normally start meowing for attention. So you can prevent some of that behavior by giving them a little bit of exercise and a snack, which will hopefully help them settle into a more relaxed state. And if you can, you know, certainly where I live, we are allowed to um, go outside as long as we maintain social distancing from other people. So we're allowed to go on walks for exercise and um, of course, if you have a yard, that helps and you can take your cat out in your yard. So there may be still some opportunities depending on where you live to give your cat that experience. Maybe you shift it. Maybe you use a pet stroller instead of a harness because you're going to be walking in different areas that you can't really safely let them on the ground. But yeah, that's that's my advice. You probably would have noticed Daniel and I grinning at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's, um, so as a bit of background, Noxie has started meowing at about 7.30 p.m. just mm. after we've had dinner. She'll meow at the door because she knows that's the time that she gets to go out and check out our apartment corridor. Oh, yeah. And we always give in, and I think we need to stop. <laughs> you give in. <laughs> yeah, I give in. <laughs> yeah, so this is a great opportunity to just train her to sit, and then you train her to sit and be quiet, and then you start with just, okay, don't meow for one second, and then you're going to build up to, like, okay, once you're quiet for five seconds or ten seconds – then we'll go on our little adventure in the hallway. But, yeah, I think it's a great point you make about shifting the types of exploring you do or how you explore to suit the current conditions because, for example, for our little two kitties, Lumos and Noxie, we've taken them on a stroller instead of using the harness for the moment because yeah, we're just yeah, not sure the areas they will go into and the, I suppose the, the need to, have, to bathe them afterwards as a way to sort of try and combat any exposure or anything like that it just becomes a, too much of a, a hassle for us and it's a negative association for them which we don't want to do so we're using the stroller in the as a little stopgap, and then we're also taking them in, in into our courtyard and giving them extra time in the courtyard compared to what we'd normally do just to sort of try and balance that out that's great now, we all have to adapt that's it now normally when we go exploring our little Noxie, for example, can get super cranky when it's time to leave. So she's like, sweet, one minute, and then something can set her off, and then you get this aggression. And that's a common question we get from our community. So do you have any recommendations how to, we can manage that? So do you mean she gets aggressive when you want her to come back home or to go out in the first place? When it's time to come back home or if, for example, Noxie's got this thing, and I've, I've noticed this from a lot of members in our community as well. If she saw a dog about an hour beforehand, she'll be cranky an hour later. Like she'll just suddenly remember it and then she'll suddenly get cranky, like I believe from that dog or whatever. So 
maybe I'm projecting here, who knows, but <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I think a lot of members in our community have that challenge, especially when it's time to go home. Sure. So, um, you know, I think it depends on how you structure your visits. I mean, that is the one risk of um, exploring in areas that you don't have control of is that you can't always control the, the stimuli that they're exposed to. So dogs, right, that can be a trigger for a lot of cats for a good reason. Dogs are a natural predator to cats. And if they are not familiar with each other, there's not a lot of reasons for her to think that dog is going to be friendly to her. And some animals are just more reactive to other animals than others, right? Strange cats, squirrels outside, whatever. Um, some cats are a little more territorial and protective and certainly female animals in general have biological reasons to be territorial and protective because you know, even though we spay and neuter our pets, that doesn't mean we take their instincts away. And so it's natural for females to be protective um, and defensive because males or strange cats coming into their space would be a threat to their kittens. And so again, even though we kind of think like, oh, well, we spayed her, you know, those feelings don't just go away. They just have less of a function. So, um, so some of it may just be, okay, can we control the environment um, a little more? So maybe be a little more prepared to put her into a carrier or um, usher her away if we see something coming along that might be threatening. Um, what is she motivated by? So how can we convince her that going home is a great idea because she's gonna get her favorite treat to go back to the car or whatever, you know, however you transport her back home. So you have to really think about what is like her absolute favorite thing besides being outside, um, can we use to convince her that this experience does not have to be negative. And as far as, you know, like being aggressive, like, you know, we interpret a lot of things as aggression. Um, you know, hiss is a cat saying they're not comfortable. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to rip your face off, right? So there's a whole range up to like, I'm, I am going to rip your face off, right? So we've got the whole spectrum of, um, of behaviors that we would classify as potentially aggressive or threatened, defensive. All of these behaviors have a function and they're there to tell us that our cat is unhappy or uncomfortable. And like I said, if we can make the payoff for going into the carrier, really great, like tuna, cheese, I don't know, something super special, that could help. Um, it could be that maybe the time outside is is too long and she's getting tired, right? And so like, you know, when children get too tired, they start getting emotionally reactive. So you might be pushing her maybe just a little bit beyond what she's comfortable with. Um, and like I said, maybe it's a good opportunity to start training her, say, to go into a carrier on her own or when you ask her to so that she sees that as part of the process and that it pays off for her because she's going to get the tuna. That's really interesting. I I also find it interesting how you mentioned there's like a scale of aggression, which now that you say it, of course, there is a scale of aggression. And I know every cat is different, so we probably do need to get better at reading our cats. Do you have any recommendations on how we can understand where our cat is on that scale? Yeah, there's really not a lot of great tools out there um, for identifying like how worked up is your cat. And some cats, you know, are just naturally um, very expressive with their tails, right? They're just always whipping their tails around. So that's not going to be a good signal that your cat is irritated. Um, some cats are more hissy than others. Um, so, you know, when we think about stress, um, we usually think about it in terms of what we call trigger stacking. And so each stressor is stacked on top of previous stressors and each cat has their own threshold. And we're very much like this too. So imagine if you um, got up late, like your alarm didn't go off and um, ran out of coffee, <laughs> you're late for work, you get in your car and someone cuts you off in traffic you might flip that person off. Whereas on a normal day, you just be like, oh, whatever, cut me, you know, go ahead, no big deal. But on this day, you're like blasting the horn, you know, flipping them off and you're now your whole day is ruined, right? You, you're past your threshold because all these triggers just piled up and boom, you're done. So we also have to think about, you know, was there anything else that day that might've set her off? Did she get in a fight with her brother? Was breakfast late? Did she get her morning playtime? Uh, maybe there were no birds outside. So maybe there was a lawnmower outside, right? So there could be a lot of other things that kind of just put her in a position where one more thing, oh, now you want me to go home? Like, no. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, as far as like tools, you know, we generally look at body language, again, is, is a good indicator um, or can be. Um, the issue is always that, yeah, each cat is an, is an individual snowflake. And so you do have to get to know your individual cat. But certainly, you know, growling and louder sounds are more concerning than like a hiss would be or a tiny meow. Like some cats, you know, when they're scared, they might meow. But like, you know, is like, mm, okay, that's not good. <laughs> and certainly shrieking and screaming is bad. Um, and, you know, same thing, like cats that are scared are going to try to make their bodies smaller because they they feel threatened. They're trying to like just, you know, convince you to go away. A cat who's more um, ready to fight is going to make themselves look bigger. So th- that's a cat who's maybe more likely to be a little more forward. Now you did say when you said she was aggressive, are there specific behaviors that you see? Like, does she try to bite you or scratch or just struggle when you try to carry her or? Well, when I say aggressive, sometimes she does do that if it's, and usually, like you said, it's a whole day thing. Sometimes it's also like, we don't get to go to the beach that often. So if we're at the beach, that is one of the places that she doesn't want to leave, even though Mm -hmm. we can say, see that she's overheating because in Australia, the beaches get pretty hot. Um, but I think the most common one is she'll just make an angry meow and then she'll jump into the carrier when I tell her it's time to go into the carrier. Like, it's kind of like, I really don't want to do this, but fine, I'll do it. Um, but I I know some people in the community, they say that, um, and we might be projecting here again, but if their cat's chasing after a squirrel, for example, and they don't want their cat to chase after the squirrel and then they pull their cat back or pick them up or try and put them in their backpack, that's when they show aggression as well. So I think it's, like you said, it's so true. It's we need to think about all the different things that mm. stack up. Yeah. Yeah. And and certainly, you know, chasing a squirrel is very, like, instinctive for them. You know, if something runs away from them, their instinct is to chase. And so it's the same thing as if you try to interrupt a cat fight. You can be the victim of aggression if they're focused on something and you interrupt them. So we call that redirected aggression. So even a cat who's inside watching another cat outside. Um, I have had tons of clients that they go to pet their cat in that moment, the cat turns around and totally, you know, shreds them. And they're like, I wasn't doing anything. I just petted him. It's like, yeah, he was worked up because of the cat outside. So you do have to be careful about interrupting cats when they're in work mode, right? Chasing a squirrel is work mode for cats. And um, so, so yeah, there, there may be ways to distract them out of that, like making a noise Um, Sometimes you have to just act quickly because um, maybe a safety reason, like you, maybe you had a loose hold on the cat and now they just ran halfway up a tree, which happened to me with my cat once. Um, So maybe you add to your toolbox for things that you bring with you and have a towel, right? So if you need to pick up your cat, rather than just picking them up with bare hands, you wrap them in the towel and move them that way. So, you know, depending on the, you know, it's always hard without like specifics on what is going on in the situation. I might have different recommendations, but those are just some things to think about. Yeah, that makes sense. I think um, some members of our community also have pillowcases just in case they have that situation. So that's an easy way to restrain your cat as well. But um, yeah, that's it's so interesting because I know we struggle with it with Noxie, but I've heard quite a few people reach out to me about about it as well, particularly when they're trying to save another animal because your cat is chasing that animal. but And then they get that redirected aggression. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> So, Michael, I want to move on to one of your specialties, which is multi-cat households. Do you have any recommendations on how to introduce existing cats in one household to a new cat? Yeah, my recommendation is to adopt a litter of kittens and just let them grow up together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that I've been so interested in the multi-cat household problem is because, well, one, it's one of the most common reasons that I'm called for help at my consulting business. Um, So many people have difficulties integrating new cats into their home. And of course, if they don't have difficulties, I never hear from them. So I don't get to hear about the people that they, you know, bring a new cat home and it goes great. I just hear about the people who bring a new cat home, the resident cat's upset, the new cat's upset, everything's terrible, the cats are fighting, etc. The really surprising thing to me when I started working at Davis was just that there's like almost no research on this problem. So we know very little about why some cat relationships work out and some don't. There's been one survey based study of cat introductions and 
you know, survey-based studies can be very helpful in getting some basic information, but they are challenging in that you're asking people to kind of remember, like, do you remember what happened when you introduced your two cats to each other six months ago? How did that go? And so you're really trusting people to have a good memory of, of what they experienced. But what that study found was that um, at least a third of cat introductions up to a year later were still experiencing problems. So a lot of people don't successfully integrate cats. I've had clients um, where the couple sleeps in separate beds because the cats don't like each other and they don't want their cats to sleep alone, which breaks my heart for the couple. It's like, that's not a, you know, people move in together, right? And they each have their own cat. They move in, their cats hate each other. And now, you know, shacking up is supposed to be this like great part of your relationship. And now you're sleeping in separate beds right from the get-go. So it can really hurt the human relationship when cats don't get along. Um, so, you know, there's there's a few things that we recommend to try to increase the chance of success, but to be honest, um, that may or may not work. I've had clients do everything right and the cats will not accept each other. And I've also seen people do everything wrong and the cats are fine. So um, we recommend the things we do um, based on one observation from that study I mentioned, which was that Cats who fought the first time they met were more likely to still be fighting later on. So what we want to do when we introduce cats is prevent that first meeting from being negative. We want it to be controlled and as positive as possible. So we do recommend things like, you know, first of all, pick a cat who's hopefully going to be a good match for your resident cat. Um, keeping in mind that your cat has no say in this. So imagine if someone picked a roommate for you and you had no say. Maybe they'd make a good guess, like, oh, I think you'd like someone who likes this kind of music or who, um, you know, goes to bed late or, you know, but who knows, right? So there's, so again, we're taking that, we can't give our cats that control, really. There's no cat speed dating. So <laughs> we're really just saying, okay, here's your new friend. <laughs> and you know, people do this with the best of intentions. Most people adopt another cat because they think their cat's lonely and they think they want a friend. And, you know, so it's not like people are, are trying to make their cat more stressed out, but essentially they're bringing an intruder into their cat's territory. And it's complicated because cats' social lives, I mean, for so many years, people said, oh, cats are antisocial, they're solitary. And we know that's not true. Cats are solitary hunters. They hunt animals that are too small to share. But if you look at cats in outdoor conditions, they will congregate and they tend to congregate where there are a lot of resources, where there's lots of food, lots of shelter. And so we wanna to try to replicate that in the home. So um, again, first try to pick a cat who's going to be reasonably compatible with the cat you already have. So, you know, if you have a very old cat, you know, a single rambunctious kitten may not be the best match. Like get two kittens. So at least the two kittens can play together. Um, if you have a young rambunctious cat, by all means, get them another one that's rambunctious too. Like they'll probably have a blast. Um, and then you want to do a slow introduction. So the new kitty has their own safe room at first, and then you get the cats acclimated one sense at a time, pairing those interactions with something that they really like, whether it's food, catnip, toys, brushing, whatever that individual cat likes. So maybe for one cat, it's tuna and the other cat, it's catnip. So, you know, we as humans get very focused on everything has to be equal and fair. And that's not always how it works for cats. So you really have to think about what motivates your individual cat. And so you just want to try to bring them together over these treats in a controlled way. So at first there's a door closed between them. And then maybe there's a screen door or baby gates between them. And then if that's going well, you can start graduating to short periods of time together supervised. Where I see people go wrong with introductions is that they, um, like a lot of things, we do something until we get pushback. And so people leave the cats together until something bad happens. So instead of just saying, hey, it's been a minute and the cats are doing fine, let's separate them and call it a day. Now, most people are like, oh, they're friends. Like it's it's working out. Like they haven't, nothing's happened. And then they go and get a cup of tea and they hear screaming, right? So you like think that everything's fine. You, you, you know, just assume everything's fine. You leave the room and then the cats are fighting. So you really have to build up very slowly and it just requires a lot of patience um, for some introductions. Um, some introductions go very quickly. I don't want to make it sound all doom and gloom, but if you are having struggles or hissing or growling early on, 
then that's definitely a sign to step back, go slow, um, you know, and also just be realistic. I think not every introduction is going to work out. And so then you're looking at either long-term management, like keeping the cat separated. Uh, maybe they're together when you can supervise, but maybe not. Or trying to find one of the cats a new home, which is really hard for people to even consider. And I think also coming from a shelter background, you know, certainly when I first started working at the shelter, I was pretty judgmental. Like, you know, I felt like if you adopt, it should be for life. And, you know, you're, you made a commitment. And so when someone would come back with an animal, my, in, my immediate reaction was like, oh, this jerk didn't even try. And the longer I worked at the shelter and the more people I saw coming in in tears, um, you know, life happened. The cats didn't get along. Um, now behavior problems are coming up or, you know, they're in financial dire straits. Um, I really learned to be much more compassionate about the circumstances that people go through and that sometimes it wasn't going to work out no matter what. And that I was ultimately grateful that we would take the animal back into the shelter and find them a new home. And everyone in the household deserves to be happy. Every human, every non-human animal. And so, you know, I think we have to sometimes accept that reality and we can do long-term management in a lot of cases and just, you know, keep, you can do that forever. Um, but it can be very challenging for people to try to manage when cats are not getting along. And like I said, it can cause a lot of relationship problems <laughs> and just stress. So some great points there. And I just want to pick up one of them, which was how you were saying that each cat has got their own different thing and they like, you know, different things. And it sounds so silly, but you don't make the two and two connection together. Like until, you know, you do and you go, oh, because we had that aha moment with our two cats where, you know, we realized, you know, they like different types of play. So one likes one toys, the other one likes more so like with um fetch style play and, our two cats like different types of food. And he, he go, well, as humans, that's, you know, pretty obvious. You know, no two <laughs> humans are exactly the same, that they like everything the same. So <laughs> why would it? Why would we assume that the cats would be exactly like that, even though, like, our two are from the same litter. But, you know, one's a boy, one's a girl, and it just makes so much more sense when you when you think about it a little bit more and you go, oh, yeah, that that's what, yeah. That's what they're like. So on the topic of play that I mentioned, what suggestions do you have about keeping our cat entertained while we're at home? Yeah. Um, so, you know, different people have different challenges. Certainly one thing that's come up a lot for people is if they are working from home now and that's a new thing for them and their cats are like, whoa, you're home all the time. Like, let's play or, you know, hang out with me. And so there have been a lot of questions lately about like, how do we keep our cats entertained and so I'm a big fan of food puzzles, for example. Um, so if people are not familiar with food puzzles, these are objects that usually have um, holes. You know, so it could be a ball with a hole in it that a cat can roll around. You put dry food inside and the ball rolls around, food falls out. Or it could be something that they manipulate with their paws to get food out. And this is, a you know, an activity that cats can do. They eat naturally anyway, so why not make them do a little bit of work for their food since that was their job many eons ago to hunt and, um, you know, work for their food. Um, so that's, you know, certainly kind of the basics I would say people should, should provide for their cats include vertical space, you know, multiple scratching options, olfactory enrichment. So that can be catnip or valerian or silver vine. So there's, there's definitely more plants than catnip that cats respond to. Um, you know, a little bit of novelty in the environment. So something as simple as like you got a delivery from um, from someone, now you have a new box. Maybe you put some tissue paper and a couple of treats in the box and suddenly your cat is um, very interested for a little while. Even something as simple as moving something in your house. So I always found when my cat was being particularly needy and I had to get something done, sometimes if I just moved one of her cat trees to a different window, it was like, whoa, this is amazing. So I could keep her occupied with a new view you know, for a long time, just by doing something very simple. Um, play is great. So interactive play, I definitely consider a necessity for cats, no matter what their age is, if they're healthy and um, interested, then you should try to engage them in what we call interactive play. So that's, you know, some type of wand toy where you're moving the toy like prey, and they can really act like a hunter. And I know you said your cats like different types of toys. And, and, you know, just like I was talking about you know, different things motivate different cats. As a scientist, like I love testing things, right? Like 
which treat do you like best? Well, I'm going to just present you with two treats at the same time and see which one you go to first. And then I'll do it again and again. And if you always go to the, you know, the fish, um, or perhaps you always eat the cheese, like I can determine how much you prefer one more than the other, or maybe you like both. I mean, I like mint chocolate chip ice cream and I like strawberry ice cream, right? And so, you know, just because I like strawberry today doesn't mean that I might not want mint chip tomorrow. So I'm all about offering choices um, frequently and letting your cat just tell you what they want to do. So maybe you try two different toys um, and see which one they respond to right now. But we also know from research that um, John Bradshaw did, Dr. John Bradshaw is like one of my cat behavior heroes. Um, he's written several excellent books about cats, but one of the studies that he and his students did was looking at how cats got bored of playing with the same toy. And all they did was provide them with a new toy. I mean, in that study, the toy was actually identical in shape and um, style. It was just a novel version of the same toy. And the cat's response to the toy just went like it was a new toy, you know, it was a new toy, basically. So um, their play increased, whereas if you use the same toy for too long, the cat stopped playing with it. But when you bring in a new toy, suddenly they're like very excited again. So, you know, we do have to remember to rotate activities, introduce novelty and choice. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, yeah, giving them the opportunity to say, do you want to do this or this and see what they tell you? Yeah, I really agree with so many things that you said. Like we um, started rotating our toys recently. So we've got like a bit of a system that's set, that we've set up. And like every time you bring out a toy, they just act as though it's this brand new thing. And and like like you said, just spending some time to understand what your cat's like. like we never thought that Noxie would do clicker training. She's not very food motivated normally. Lumos is our food motivated cat, but we kind of played around with a few treats. We were sent a few that we tried and she just loved them. And then now clicker training, like Daniel has to clicker train her first or she just gets so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And the with clicker training, like we've noticed this again, where she, Noxie likes the poor work type of clicker training, whereas our Lumos will like, um, you know, jumping and doing agility type work. So it just shows that, you know, they have different drivers and, they like different things and we've just got to sort of latch onto what they do like and carry that through. And on the topic of rotation and, you know, stimulus and making things different, it doesn't have to be hard either. Like, so like you said, every time we get a new, you know, delivery online and we get a new box and stuff, it, you know, we take the stuff out of the box and then we give the box to the cats and then they play with it for a couple of hours and then that goes in the recycling. And, you know, that's new, new stimuli. We rotate the toys, like we said, so we've got a, we've packed up different bags of toys, so then we just collect all the toys that you know after a couple of you know days, weeks, whatever it is, and then pack them away and then throw out the re- the, the new um, uh, set of toys from the bag and then distribute that around the house. And you know sometimes when I'm just moving things for vacuuming purposes or whatever, or I'm you know cleaning up their you know, cat scratches and whatever, I move into a different position and they start getting really curious about it. They start loving it and then they go, oh, what's going on? So <laughs> those little things is all that's needed to sort of keep this, you know, keep the fun going for them. And, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be hard. Not at all. I mean, it's, and I think again, because they spend so much time indoors, they know every square inch of the territory, right? So, you know, if a new coffee shop opened in your neighborhood, you would be curious, right? Like, whoa, what's that? And so when you move something or add a new object, they're like, whoa, this is, this is cool. Like, I'm going to check this out. So yeah, it's, it's really, it does not have to be difficult or expensive. So Michael, we're coming up towards the end of the podcast. And before we let you go, we're going to go through our final four questions that we go through with all our guests. The first one is, what is one piece of advice you would give to new cat owners? Wow, one piece of advice. Um, I think it would be to accept your cat for who they are. They're not a small human. They're not a small dog. And they have their own wants and desires. They're not here to be your stuffed animal or your, um, you know, they're, I mean, they can provide for our needs um, on their terms, but their job is not to be your object of whatever you need in that moment. So well said. What's been the most entertaining comment someone has said to you about cat behavior? 
<laughs> I really struggled with this question because, um, so, I mean, I think one thing that comes up just as a consultant is that so many people say, have you ever heard of this before? Like they really think that their situation is so out of the norm that no one else has experienced it. And there's a lot of like shame and embarrassment um, and fear that comes behind that. And so a lot of times like, oh yeah, I mean, I see this all the time. People are like, oh, phew. Um, so there is a lot of anxiety uh, when they're experiencing a behavior problem with their cat that they're doing something wrong and they're the only person that has made this mistake and I'm gonna judge them and think they're a horrible person. And the fact is, is that at this point, I've seen all kinds of strange behaviors. Um, you know, I mean, I occasionally I'm surprised, but um, most, you know, a lot of people experience behavior problems with their cats. And um, I wouldn't say it's normal, but it might be a normal response to a problem in the environment. So, so yeah, I think that's the most, the thing that I hear the most. I mean, sometimes people are embarrassed because maybe their cat is, you know, like humps things or, <laughs> you know, there's some behaviors that I think we're just naturally maybe a little shameful about discussing with strangers. So sometimes that's amusing too. <laughs> so which cat experts or cat explorers inspire you? Um, so I have to, um, so there's definitely, I mean, there's so many people out there doing cool things right now. Um, you know, there's some people that really have a specialty, like, you know, Hannah Shaw, who's really specializing in neonatal kittens and kitten care. Um, I mentioned Dr. John Bradshaw, who's one of my personal heroes. He was kind of like the OG of academia and cat behavior. And so, so much of his research and synthesis of our understanding about cat behavior has really influenced me. I have to admit shamefully that my social media like awareness is pretty like bad. I mean, I follow a lot of cat people on Instagram at the end of the day, it is at the end of the day, I just want to look at cat pictures. And so I'm often just like scrolling through Instagram <laughs> looking at cute cats. Um, but I really love I mean, I think there's some people doing some really innovative things like Cat Town in Oakland was the first cat cafe in the United States. And that had a big influence on kind of changing our ideas about sheltering cats. And I was, um, again, I was pretty skeptical about cat cafes as a working model for adoptions and um, got proven wrong about that as well. So that was another area where I had to kind of shift my concept of how we house cats and how we, um, you know, present them to the public and what what that was going to um, kind of what movement that was going to lead to that I think really helped um, improve the status of cats and improve the adoption situation. What product service or program has been a game changer for cats? Wow. To pick one is, is tough. Um, you know, I think um, if you're really going to talk about cats as a species and certainly as house cats, I would say cat litter <laughs> because <laughs> that changed our ability. Like that was really what brought cats inside. Right. And so now it's like this kind of full circle thing. Now we're talking about bringing them back outside. Um, there's just so many opportunities to help our cats live better lives. Um, and I think, Again, we know things like vertical space are really important to cats. So I'm really all about things that allow cats to express natural behaviors and live happy lives. So vertical space, scratching. Um, I'm a big fan of um, several food puzzles. And I you know, do a website with a friend of mine, uh, foodpuzzlesforcats.com. And we have a lot of our favorite food puzzles posted on there. And um, I think that can be a really great way to add some activity and mental stimulation to your cat's lives. Um, so, yeah, I'm not doing a great job answering, like, which product because there's so many great things. And, of course, you know, we talked about um, the kind of improvement on the cat harness. I personally use the kitty holster, and um, I like it, although I'm I'm also open to trying out some other ones. I've seen some new products that, um, like, are made of mesh, and they, they look um, kind of different in their structure and how they um, fit on in the cat's body. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be – when I get new cats, um, I will be <laughs> – trying out some different um, holsters for them. But yeah, I think one thing, it's pretty um, it's pretty hard to pick one. Sorry. No, that's all good. I think I agree with all of the things that you said as well. So thank you so much for being gen so generous with your time today. Like we've learned so much. Where can we find you online? Yeah, um, so I am online, uh, let's see, on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter and that's at Michael underscore Maria. So that's M-I-K-E-L underscore M-A-R-I-A. Um, you can also find me at michaeldelgado.com and felineminds.com. That's my consulting business. 
Um, yeah. And I'm also on Instagram. What is my Instagram handle? I think <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Thanks. I've, I've saved it somewhere. <laughs> okay, good. I know it's my name. I can't remember if there's like a dot in there or something. Yeah. I'll, I'll put all, what I'll do is I'll put all those links in our show notes as well as your food puzzle um, website, because that's actually awesome. really, really helpful as well. And um, we'll also put a summary of those, um, our conversation today in the show notes as well. So just go to the episode description in your podcast app and the link will be there. We would love to hear what you think of today's episode. So take a screenshot on your phone or a photo of what you're doing and upload it to your socials. Tag in Cat Explorer at catexplorer.community and let us know what you think. Thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving your kitty the world. Bye.